text of emphasis today is found in the Apocalypse, Revelation chapter 14, and starting with verse 6. And it says this, Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation and tribe, language and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast, and its image, and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image, or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. Let's pray. God, we ask you to help us to understand these words and how they relate to you and to ourselves in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, decided to pick a good birthday text today. Nothing like a little torment and fury to get excited on one's, uh, on one's birthday. It's quite a scene. We have, and, and for those of you who are new today, we're in the midst of our fall sermon series, Revelation and Apocalypse of Apocalyptic Proportions. And so we're back with our friend John the Apostle who walked and talked with Jesus. He's now a prisoner on the island of Patmos and he's experiencing these images and trying to uh, write them down and then describe them to us. And so our passage today says that uh, he looked and he saw an angel immediately overhead in midair. And then that angel was followed by two other angels. Now, as we get started, a little bit of side note, a little Adventist uh, history. This a passage had particular meaning for early Advent uh, believers. Uh, once they realized that the the, the prophecy in Daniel chapter 8 in verse 14, which they had used to calculate the supposed second coming of Jesus, wasn't talking about Jesus' a second return at all. Um, and you remember last week we celebrated Disappointment Day, for it was 172 years ago uh, on October 22 that uh, they had anticipated Jesus' coming. So once they realized that Daniel 8.14 was not talking about Jesus' return, they 
tried to figure out what was going on. And so their new interpretation of Daniel 8.14, they recognized that it wasn't talking about Jesus' return at all, but the beginning of uh, judgment. And that connected with Revelation chapter 14, uh, a message that starts with a judgment, the divine call for a judgment. So, our Adventist history, a moment there. That's why I'm dressed like James White today, and I've been <laughs> growing this beard for, for this very day. So, <laughs> Revelation chapter 14 is uh, fairly clear. There is a, a judgment, and it takes place before Jesus uh, comes again. While Revelation is by no means uh, chronological, in fact, you have a lot of skipping around, a lot of uh, repetition. The images, the metaphors are used over and over again, oftentimes to describe the same events. We see in Revelation chapter 14 this, this call for judgment, and immediately following it, and we won't read it today, starting in verse uh, 14 of chapter 14, you have this description of Jesus coming again. And so uh, we see pretty clearly here that Revelation chapter 14 is talking about a judgment that takes place before Jesus comes again. And it makes sense. If Jesus is going to uh, return to uh, rescue those who want to be rescued, he needs to identify who those people are. And so this is the, the concept of judgment. God uh, determining who wants to be rescued. Now, when I hear the word uh, judgment in normal circumstances, though, it's a little disconcerting for me. I think I would imagine, let's say, most of us have an interesting relationship with the word uh, judgment. I mean, if I say uh, judgment, what, what images come to your, to your mind? Probably, what's that? Court. Co okay, so court. All right, so that's a fairly neutral one. Some of the images that come to my mind are, are a little terrifying or, or, or at least disconcerting, and that may have something to do just with the way that our culture has uh, wrestled with, uh, with judgment. I mean, when I thought Judgment Day, and I'm sorry, I'm a child of the, the 80s, but I thought of uh, our friend Arnold Schwarzenegger, do we have, remember this? <laughs> Terminator 2, Judgment Day. And I love it. It's, it's, it's nothing, nothing personal. personal. <laughs> it's nothing <laughs> personal. Uh, I mean, I mean this, 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 is this is the image a lot of us have when we talk about judgment. It's something uh, terrifying. There's something frightening. One of the great uh, science fiction films of all, all time. And the Judgment Day is, you know... Uh, nuclear holocaust or, 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 or uh, sentient robots are going to get us and judgment day is here and so we have this image of, of terrifying things when we hear, hear the word judgment often which is interesting since the first angel uh, comes and we're told in verse 6 that he brings with him an eternal gospel to proclaim. Now the word gospel literally means good news. Good news. So, there's a little dichotomy here. Good news is supposed to be pro proclaimed, but in our minds, judgment is somewhat of a terrifying thing, and the reality is that the words of this message do bring some apprehension. So, what is going on here? Is this 
good news or is this uh, bad news? And so to answer that question, I'd like to investigate four attributes of these, these messages to help us to understand if this is good news or this is uh, bad news. And so the first attribute is this. Uh, the, the announcement of judgment goes out to everyone, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. This isn't, in other words, an exclusive message. It's not uh, based on your ethnicity. It's not based on your socioeconomic status. Um, it's not based on where you live. It goes out to everyone, meaning it's for everyone. This is a universal message, and it reminds us a little bit of uh, Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 24 when he says, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so this is attribute number one. This, um, this, these messages are for everyone. They're, they're, they're universal. Attribute number uh, two Final judgment, according to these messages, is based on identifying what a person worships. What a person uh, worships. The first angel uh, makes this, and the, and the third angel make this clear. The first angel says, worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of, of living water. And then the third angel comes and says, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they will drink the wine of God's fury which has been poured out full strength into the cup of God's wrath. So this issue of worship is at the center of this, these messages. <clears throat> now, while there's no singular definition of worship in the Bible, there are plenty of, of examples of uh, worship, of people worshiping. And it usually involves in the Bible, some kind of physical action, some physicality, people uh, doing things. We see this in Genesis chapter 17 with that original person of faith, Abram. In Genesis 17 verse 1, we read this, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. And Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. And so we see this interaction between God and uh, Abram, and it involves Abram worshiping, and worship for Abram meant bowing down, getting down on the ground. We see this again, and there are many, many other examples of this, but we see this again in maybe the most uh, relevant example uh, for us in this text we're dealing with today, found in the book of Daniel, again, that, uh, that book that is so uh, uh, correlated with Revelation. In Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1, we read this story. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and he set it up on the plain of Dur in the, in the province of Babylon. He then summoned his satraps and prefects and governors and advisors and treasurers and judges and magistrates and all the other provincial officials that come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. 
So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So here again we have this example of worship. Worship uh, means that you are responding to uh, something. In, in the Bible, that often meant that there was some kind of physical reaction. Now, if you note that Daniel chapter 3 sounds an awful lot like what we read in Revelation chapter 4. There's, uh, there's worshiping, there's uh, fire, there's nations, languages, tongues, and uh, people. And so, worship, not defined, but a lot of examples in, throughout the Bible of what it means to worship. Now, uh, it's important to note here that uh, the command uh, in, the, in the angel's uh, message is to worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of living water. And I would assert to you that this is an indication that God is making, that he is worthy to be uh, worshipped because he is the original creator, that he's the the one that uh, all power is, in, is rooted in, that he's the one who got this entire thing started. And acknowledging that, acknowledging that uh, God is the root of all things is, is a part of what it means to worship. And this is also uh, rooted in the idea of what you have faith in. What do you, what do you ultimately believe in? If you have faith in God as a creator and are willing to acknowledge that, uh, you're going to flourish. In fact, you're going to love what God has in store for the future. If you don't, you're not going to love that. If you're not into God as the creator, it's going to be hard to live in a time and a place where his creative power are very evident when God reboots things and remakes things. And so this issue of a creation and God being the creator is, is core to this idea of uh, worship. Worship is, is further an acknowledgement of what you have faith in. What do you have faith in? Do you have faith in a God who claims to be the creator of everything? Or do you have faith in something else? I mean, and this is really the key issue of Revelation chapter 14. What do you have faith in? What do you worship? What do you acknowledge as being uh, something that is worthy of, of having faith in? Is it, is it God? Or is it something else? Your own human ability, uh, the, the political uh, situation in your, uh, your country of, of resonance, or uh, your own ability to take care of yourselves. Where does your faith lie? What do you have faith in it. So this is really the, the core issue of worship. Where does your faith lie? And what do you acknowledge as having faith in? Okay, the, the third uh, attribute 
of these messages is that the verdict of judgment involves a rest or torment. I read verse 9, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives the mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image, or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. Now, I don't know about you, but this part of this message makes me most uncomfortable. I mean, the idea of uh, torment is, is unsettling, to say the least. I don't, I don't have an arch enemy. You have an arch enemy? <laughs> do, do you? <laughs> I guess if you're a superhero, you have an arch enemy. That's how I, I don't have an arch enemy, but, I, but I, the idea of torment, I, I have a hard time even relating to, to someone if I were even to have an arch enemy. I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel uh, right to me. And I, I would say that this is especially true since we happen to live in a culture that has a complicated relationship, to say the least, with absolutes, uh, right or wrong, uh, good or bad, it's all uh, subjective. We, we deconstruct even the most uh, vile criminal or action trying to find some redeeming motivation uh, in their experience for their action or for their, their person. So that, the, and that casts doubt on the idea of having definitive uh, judgment. We, were, we watched uh, Star Wars with, uh, amen, <laughs> amen to Star Wars, amen to Star Wars, and uh, does Darth Vader have a redeeming quality, it's kind of the, the essential question to the, the entire uh, original uh, series, and I mean, I don't want to spoil it for you, even though the last one was in 1983, but I am going to spoil it that he does, See, but he does at the end, he has, there's a redeeming Oh, <laughs> uh, you have it, Listen, if you haven't watched it in, in 1983, then I'm sorry. With the spoiler alert, the, the uh, <laughs> right there's exactly there's, there's <laughs> you you've had you had 20 how many years since 83? A long 30. Oh my goodness, is that 33? We have a th you've had 33 years to watch it. I'm sorry if I ruined it for you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at some level, though, this, this, the complicated relationship with absolutes makes sense. I mean, as humans uh, judging each other, we've got to be careful, right? I mean, there's a place for deconstruction. We don't know everything about each other. And so judging each other is something that can be uh, uh, challenging. And, and we have to be very, very careful ab about doing this, whether you're in the, the, the court system or whatever, uh, making... A judgments is impossible for us ultimately because we don't know the hearts and minds. But the implication here is that God does know hearts and minds, and God can make a definitive a judgment. 
Again, I would assert that this makes sense. If the world needs a reboot and things aren't going to get better on their own, then God has to end that which perpetuates the problems in the world. Or it's just going to keep happening over and over and over and over and over again. In this case, what a person worships, what a person puts their faith in, is the existential root of the world's problems. That is the assertion of Revelation chapter 14. What we worship, what we put our faith in, is, is the existential issue. And if it's in the wrong thing, it creates real problems. And if God is going to go about rebooting things and making all things new, he's got to get to the root of the issue. Sin is an outcome of putting your faith in the wrong thing, and it manifests itself in our worship. So, there are two very uh, divergent paths for the future of human history according to Revelation chapter 14. There is a path of life and there is a path of not life. Uh, these are the stakes. The stakes are high in Revelation 14. Life and uh, death. What do you worship? What do you put your faith in? This is the existential question. So according to these uh, three angels, there is a clear and present danger associated with even ambiguity about worship. Now, I said we were going to get to torment and uh, rest. And for those of you who are particularly bothered by the idea that, and I'm quoting, they will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. I am with you. <laughs> This is disturbing. There's just no way around it. There, this is disturbing, and that's not the only uh, somewhat terrifying language in this passage and in the book of Revelation. We don't have time to get into all of the kind of theological details about what's going on here, but I would uh, present to you that the language here is a reference to God's end-time work of rebooting the uh, world as described in Revelation chapter 20 and other places and that if, like me, you're an annihilationist, one who believes that God ends things, that the, the, the final rebooting of the world uh, uh, puts an end to all sin, and those who choose to not be a part of God's plan are ended, then it gives a little context to what's being uh, talked about here. An ending. God bringing completion and it is terrifying, and it is a little bit scary, and it is disconcerting. But if he's going to make all things new, he's got to get to the root of the problem. And not everybody is going to be on board with being a part of a reboot. It's disturbing. God doing what he has to do to make all things new. There's a lot more that we could talk about there, and we don't have time for it uh, today. So we'll move on to number uh, the four, the fourth attribute of this message, uh, the outcome of putting our faith in the right thing. What happens when you put your faith in the right place? 
Verse 12 says this, this calls for a patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. It's a real uh, temptation to turn this last uh, portion into a legalistic, moralistic uh, proclamation. What we read in verse 12 is a description, not a prescription. It's a description of those who have embraced God's work, those who have put their faith in God, and those who worship God. It's not a a, a description of what they should do. or It's not a a prescription of what they should do. It's a description of, of what attributes that they have. Verse 12 is describing the characteristics of those who worship God. They keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Keeping the commands and remaining faithful are outcomes of God's work in a person's life. I've heard this text a hundred times presented as this is how you make it in the end. You make it in the end by keeping the commandments and remaining faithful to Jesus. But do you see what that does? It puts things in your court. You are uh, responsible ultimately for your rescue. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is not you've got to get your act together so you can be in the place so that God can rescue you. That's not the gospel. This is a description of these people, not a prescription. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, God made him, talking about Jesus, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, we read this, it is by grace that you've been saved. Through faith, this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The implication is clear. It's God who works inside of a person, who, who, who makes them able to keep the commands and remain faithful to Jesus. This is a description, not a prescription. It's a description of people who have embraced God's word, who put their faith in Jesus, and God is doing his work in them. By the way, this uh, formula works. Whether you've heard of Jesus or uh, not, in Romans chapter 2 and verse 13, we read this, for it is those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, But it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who don't have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they don't have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their consciences are bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Paul is saying, look, 
God is working even in the hearts of people who have never heard of him before and leading uh, them to be uh, people who keep the commands of God and have faith in Jesus even though they don't know who he is. See, God is fair. He's just. It doesn't matter where you live or where you come from or, or, or what uh, ethnicity you are. God is going to be fair. This is the assertion of the judgment. God works in the heart of everyone, even those who have never heard of him. The requirements of the law are written on the heart. This is God's work. He does. You thought keeping the law or doing the right thing was your work. That's God's work in you. Remember Hebrews 8 verse 10. I, God says, will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. This is not something you do. I got to get my life together before I can be in the right place. And boy, oh, if I'm, I'm going to embrace the, the, the message of these three angels, I've got to get my act together and I've got to keep the commands and I've got to be faithful to Jesus. No. God says, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. God works in a heart to make a person keep his commands and have faith in Jesus. For these reasons, I would present to you that the judgment is good news. That that angel was right. This is... a. a, an everlasting and eternal gospel. This is good news. God is working and he's doing things that we can't do. He's doing things that we can't do for this world that's hurting and broken and in need. And he wants to do good things in our experience, in our life, that we can't do for ourselves. And so the question for us remains, what are we going to put our faith in? Are you going to put your faith in your ability to get your act together? You've been trying, I'm 43 today, been trying to get my act together for 43 years. My in-laws are here, they can tell you it, it ain't working. <laughs> like I said, ain't there, this is Kentucky, ain't, it's a, it's a new conjugation. not working on my own I can't do it on your own you you can't do it I mean you can try and it's the question what are you going to put your faith in your ability to get your act together what are we going to put the, the faith of the world in is our are our political structures going to get it together get the world shaped up <laughs> how many days do we have left to decide who's going to get it together for America <laughs> If you're putting your faith in any of the two or four that are up for election, it's bad news. I mean, hopefully they do some good. One of them does some good. But are they going to, get, are they going to fix the problems that exist in the world? Who are you, what are you going to put your faith in? Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
This is the, the promise of the, of the three angels. Embrace God's work and there's rest. Listen, the, embracing your own work, it only ends poorly. It ends with sulfur and fire and it's ugly. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The message of the three angels is an invitation for us Put our faith in the only one who is capable and able and worthy. Choose this day who you're going to believe in, who you're going to have faith in, and who can do for you what you can't do for yourself. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for caring enough about us that you send a message to us, a message full of of love and compassion, and yet full of some strong words. And I pray now for each of us here today that we can embrace your work be transformed by your spirit in us and be made new. In Jesus' name, amen.